Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Jared, and it is great to be with you here this morning. Uh, we are in our second uh, week of a series called Worship, A Matter of the Heart, just a short series as we're starting a brand new series here uh, next week that'll take us through uh, the rest of uh, the summer. Uh, last week, if you were here, it was kind of cool. We did something a little different. Uh, we did uh, the sermon a little bit up front, and then we went into worship the rest of, uh, the, rest of the time, which was kind of neat because we were talking about corporate worship. We thought, well, if we're going to talk about corporate worship, how we worship in church, we should probably talk about it and then actually do it. And so hopefully you enjoyed that last week. That's not going to be our normal practice. It was kind of cool. I was over in the sanctuary emceeing, and while they were preaching over there, I hear the, the music going on over here. So it was kind of neat. So, uh, but this week, uh, just as our second part of the series, we're going to talk about personal worship. How worship just really isn't just about Sundays. It's about the whole week. The reason we do personal worship second is because some people think, well, that's all we should be doing, just personal worship. No, we should be worshiping on Sundays together as a church and praising God. But this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to realize that worship really is a matter of the heart, something that happens every day as we go throughout our week. That's why in John 4, 23, it says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So my question for you this morning is, are you the kind of worshiper the Father seeks this morning? Now, as I was doing my uh, studies on worship, um, I've got a lot of books and stuff on worship, and one of the things that I came across when I was uh, looking at what personal worship is, is a quote by Alexander McLaren, who says, fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. Fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. Now, some of you catch on to that pretty quickly, but when I read it, I thought, that's the dumbest quote I've ever heard in my life. That doesn't make any sense at all. How does something begin before it begins? That's like saying 50% of the time it works every time. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But after I looked at it, and after I did my study, I actually realized that, you know what? Personal worship really does begin before it begins. Before we can begin to worship corporately on Sunday mornings, it really starts on a regular life from Monday morning on. Corporate worship doesn't begin on Sunday. It actually begins when we leave this place this morning. We can't praise God for what he's done on Sunday mornings if we aren't living that out on a regular basis. And that's what this passage is all about. You know, the joy and satisfaction for which so many Christians are striving for can only be had by surrendering back to God what he's already done for us, including our daily lives. That's why the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, is so powerful. Because we really need to be doing that throughout the week. You know, I, that verse really hit me um, when I was uh, growing up. Um, I grew up in a small town in New Jersey. And uh, no jokes about New Jersey. Um, and um, I uh, went to a uh, church where we had church Sunday mornings. We had church Sunday nights. We had church Wednesday nights. I had uh, youth group Sunday nights. I had uh, Christian Boys Club Tuesday nights. I had choir on Thursday nights. And I also went to the Christian school at the church. So I was there all week. All week. And you may think, well, man, that really must have set you up to be pretty spiritual. No, not so much. Because while I knew and loved the Lord as my Savior, it wasn't really until high school that I understood that I really needed to be living for Him. See, I was feeling pretty, pretty hypocritical by the time I got to high school. 
Because I was doing everything I could, could do to get from God. I was going to everything I could do to get from God. But I wasn't living for him and I wasn't giving to him on a regular basis. So that's when I rededicated my life at high school at a camp. I said, you know what, I'm not just going to get from God. I'm going to start giving to God as well. And there's some people in here who maybe are in a similar situation where you're thinking, you know, I'm just feeling kind of dry. You know, I'm trying to live the Christian life. I'm trying to go to everything I could do, every Bible study I could do. I'm listening to things on the radio every day on my way and to and from work. I'm listening to Christian radio. I'm getting everything I can get from God. I go to every activity I could, but I'm just feeling kind of dry. My encouragement to you this morning, it's not about getting everything we can get. It's about giving what we can give. And what is it that we need to give? It's our bodies and our minds. That's what this verse is all about. See, true worship isn't just praise and thanksgiving on Sunday morning. It's it's service for him on a regular basis, living a life that really points back to Christ, using the gifts and talents that he's given us to do that. As we look at the background of this passage, we don't have time to go into all this, but if you've ever read Romans, Romans 1 through 11 really has, chapters 1 through 11, really has a lot of deep theology. We're not going to go into that here. But understand, there's a lot of deep theology, Romans chapter 1 through 11. And then we get to chapter 12. And what Paul's saying is, is therefore. He's transitioning and he's saying, hey, everything that I've taught you up to now, this is how you should live. In light of what God has done for us, this is how you should live. So you look at Romans, if you ever want to do some deep theology, study Romans 1 through 11. It talks about how God saved us, not apart from works. Saved us by his grace, why he did that, his love and compassion. So now Paul's saying, hey, because of all that, here's how you should live. In light of what you've done, here's how we should live. In other words, we are to live out our beliefs. This is a chapter of action. So what is Paul saying? We need to live personal lives of worship on a regular basis. It's a matter of the heart. So how do we do that? Two things. This is what we're going to get into this morning. First off, in order to live lives of personal worship, our bodies must be given to God. Our bodies must be given to God as an act of worship. If you have your Bibles or your service sheets, I encourage you to turn there. It's just two verses. Two verses. These two verses, though, contain some very deep theological points we could spend weeks on. I only have a few minutes. But the words here are very, very powerful. The first word, therefore, and you always ask, what's therefore, therefore? That's why it's there. In light of what Paul's been talking about all the way up through chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, what God's done for us, he's saying, therefore, now here's what it is. Here's, here's the feet that we put to our faith. This is what we should be doing and striving for. Paul's asking, now that you know what God's done for us, how well are you living it out? Because we can come to church every day and hear what God's done. But the question is for you this morning is, are you living it out on a regular, weekly basis? He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. Another word for, for urge is beseech, meaning to call alongside. So he's saying, look, I'm calling, calling alongside along with you, brothers and sisters. He's saying, it's not just for you, it's all of us. This is how we need to do this. He's putting himself into the, into the same boat as you. This is how we need to be living. He says, in view of God's mercy. View of God's mercy. What's God's mercies? 
You know, two of the most, two of the biggest mercies that he's given to us is his love and his grace. The fact that he died for you. So you can have a relationship with him. And that so you could be with him in heaven when you die. That's his love and grace. That's his mercy. Another word for mercy in the Greek is compassion. That's how much compassion he has for you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of how much he loves you already, this is how you should act. That's why John Piper said, worship is an inward feeling and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. So the question is, is, does your life on a regular basis, whether it's with your family, at work, at school, during your activities, does your life reflect the worth of God? You know, it's, it's easy to fall back into that works mentality, isn't it? Of, hey, we need to be living a life for God, of, of using our gifts and talents, of pointing people to Christ because we have to. Because that's what really earns our salvation. It's easy to fall back into that. We do that. I do that. I'm guilty of that. The problem with that is that a lot of people think, well, well, when reality is, how much is enough? How much is that works enough? And some people get to a point in their week where they say, you know, I filled up my quota by, you know, Thursday. I've been pretty good all week living a life. By Friday, I can maybe trickle off a little bit. By Saturday, hey, sky's the limit of how I can live. Maybe you get through your week and say, well, Tuesday wasn't so bad, so, you know, I need to push into Friday a little bit more, but by Saturday, whoo, I filled my quota of how good I lived my life, how much I used my talents, how much I, my life reflected the worth of God. It's works mentality. And it only goes so far. It only goes so far. That's why holiness begins by reminding Christians who they are, what they are, and what they have. Who are we? We're children of God. What do we have? We have the Holy Spirit working in, in us. The best way to motivate people is to show them that what God has done for them and let them rise to the challenge of responding to love appropriately. It's not about saying, hey, we need to be living our lives on a weekly basis in worship, praising him for what he's done, using our gifts and talent. It's not about works. It's about doing it out of love. That's why one author writes, personal worship is when you're aware that what you've been given is far greater than what you can give. Worship is the awareness that were it not for God's touch, you'd still be hobbling and hurting, bitter and broken. Worship is the thank you that refuses to be silenced. Worship is the thank you that refuses to be silenced. That's why 2 Corinthians 4.15 is so powerful. All this for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause what? thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Are you living a life that says, you know what, what God has done for me, I'm so thankful for what he's done that I'm going to live daily for him. In view of that, as you look at your passage there, it says, offer your bodies living sacrifices. Offer your bodies. Another word in the King James is present. It doesn't say yield or surrender. This idea is done, is the idea of you need to be offering your bodies out of joy and happiness to do so. If I were to give my wife, Deb, a gift, and I give her a really nice piece of jewelry and go, Deb, this is, this is from my heart, but, you know, we're not going to be able to eat all week because this was pretty expensive. Or, I want you to take it and wear it, but just remember how much we've sacrificed so bad to get you this. 
You know, I get frustrated with Christians who, you know, they're, they're trying to live out their life reflecting God, but they're just miserable in doing it. And they have this idea that it's so, oh, I just got to sacrifice everything for God and play the martyr. Oh. To reflect the worth of God, we do it joyfully. We go through our lives joyfully because of what he's done for us. We don't do it resentfully or with hesitancy. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We read that and we think, oh, living sacrifices, I get it. Well, that's pretty important, living sacrifices. Why? Because of who's Paul's, who is Paul talking to? You see, Paul, the people that Paul's talking to, they have that idea that sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're all dead animals. Offer, offer, offer a something and, and, and kill it, an animal. What Paul's saying is that's already been taken care of. Jesus did that on the cross, didn't he? That's why Hebrews 9 says, Christ did not enter the tabernacle by means of blood or goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So the dead sacrifice is taken care of. What do we have to offer? Our living sacrifice. What is our living sacrifice? Our bodies. It's not about dead sacrifices. I mean, if we were going to do that, we would have a nice table up here. People can bring in goats and chickens and doves, and we can have a nice family-friendly service where we're going to slaughter and kill all the animals right up here up front. Kids, come on in. It's not about that. It's already been taken care of. Christ did that on the cross. So what do we have to offer? Living sacrifices. What's living sacrifices? Our bodies. Everything we have. So it's holy and pleasing to God. It means set apart. The difference between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice is like Abraham and Isaac, if you remember that story. Abraham asked God to give him a son and gave him Isaac, and then God told him to sacrifice Isaac up on the altar. So he takes him up, ties him up, puts him on the altar, and he's about to kill him. Isaac would have been the dead sacrifice. Abraham's the living sacrifice because he says, no matter, this is what's most dear to me, what's most important to my life, I'm going to follow God no matter what. Our bodies are the living sacrifices. Who we are. There was a story of a Chinese Christian who was so moved with compassion when many of his countrymen were taken to work as slaves in South African mines that in order to witness to his countrymen, he volunteered to become a slave for himself. After years of hard labor, this man died as a slave, but not until he won more than 200 men to Christ. He was a living sacrifice in the fullest sense. That's why Bill Graham says the highest form of worship is the worship of an unselfish Christian service. We need to be living sacrifices. But then Paul goes on to say, in verse 1, this is your spiritual act of worship. That's the key. This is the whole key for the whole passage right here. Spiritual act of worship. The word spiritual, this is the, this is the big word. Because if you understood what spiritual actually means, it means a whole lot more, and we could apply it to our lives. This, the word spiritual comes from the word logikos, which is the word, the word we get for, for the word logical. This is your logical response. What Paul's saying is, is that it just makes sense. If you consider all that God has done for you, the logical response, the most reasonable response, is this. What God has done for you, a sinful being, the only reasonable response is offer to your lives to him. It's only logical that we do this. We need to be offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So how do we do that? 
they ask, how do we do that? How do we offer our bodies? Because it seems kind of vague. Well, first thing you need to do is that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to be thankful of what God has done for you. Praising his name. No matter what's going on in your life, you can say, God, thank you for dying for me so I can have a relationship with you. Then you can say, help me to understand what my gifts are and be able to use them for your service. If you look at the, the, the later passage in Romans, just right down in the, in, the, in the chapter there, Paul goes, what does he talk about next? He talks about our spiritual gifts. Why? Because he wants us to understand what our gifts are to be able to use our bodies as living sacrifices. If it's teaching, if it's preaching, if it's encouraging, to use them. We all have spiritual gifts to use. We also also have practical gifts that we have, whether it's music, whether it's uh, working with your hands, whether it's your time or resources. We all have gifts that we can use. So not only do we need to be thankful for what God has done for us, but we need to say, God, present me with opportunities for ministry service to use them. One thing I love about some of the videos that we watched in the, in the last part in the, uh, the Acts Gospel in Action is that these people in the videos that we saw knew what their gifts are. And they were going to do it in their workplace or their schools or wherever they're at. And they're living out their lives sacrificially. We need to be doing that. Here at the church, there's a lot of things that we, there's a lot of ministries we have here at the church. And we have a lot of ministry needs here at the church. No matter what demographic or gifts you have, we could use you. If you're wondering what those are, Robbie and I have tons of places that we would love to get you plugged in. That's why we have volunteer cards that you're going to see on a monthly basis to let you know, hey, here's some needs that we have at the church. If you have these gifts, we'd like to utilize them. So we encourage you to get involved. Use your gifts on a weekly basis, not just on Sunday mornings. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with giving your bodies to God as an act of worship? Your daily life is what you, is what you are doing reflecting the worth of God in your life. Secondly, our minds must be given to God as an act of personal worship. Why? Because presentable bodies come from changed mind. Because what? The mind controls the body. That's why if you ever go to the Brave Men Bible study on Friday mornings uh, over in the barn, Bruce Bickle has a, a line that he uses often and frequently. He says, your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your character. Your character becomes your destiny. Why? It all starts in your mind. It all starts in your mind. I do some counseling here at the church. And when I'm counseling um, people one-on-one who are dealing with a lot of issues in their life, I don't start with the issues in their life. I start with their mind. Because the mind, if, if, I, if we can get the mind right with God, then the issues take care of themselves. I always start in the mind. Why? Because the mind controls the body. The mind controls the actions we do. Paul says in... Chapter uh, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 2 really gives us the means to carry out the encouragement of verse 1. How do we offer our bodies? Well, first we've got to get our mind, mind on the right track. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. J.B. Phillips translates this phrase, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. We do this easily, though, even as Christians. 
We look around with our minds and we look at, you know, the fashions of this world, the vocabulary, the entertainment of this world, the music, the attitudes, the, enter- the, the money that we seek. And we think with our minds, hey, that's going to make me happy. I'm going to pursue those things or I'm going to live that life. And it always leaves us feeling empty and alone. Why? Because in Galatians, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We will always pursue things if left after our own devices, our own minds, to pursue things that aren't going to build us up but tear us down. They're going to feel us lonely, leave us feeling empty. So, what does Paul do? He turns from the negative to the positive and says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is, where we, is from the Greek word metamorpho, which is what we get the word metamorphosis. If you remember science in what, middle school or even elementary school, metamorphosis of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Now, I don't always like to dissect words because I think it bores people, but that's okay. This, is, this time, this word really needs to be dissected a little bit because it really changes the meaning. If you understood a little bit about this word, you understand that Paul used it as a present tense, okay? Present tense. Well, what, that, okay, I wrote that down, Jared. That's terrific. I will apply that to my life. Present tense. Present tense doesn't mean on again, off again. It means continual. Continual. We need to be continually transforming our minds. It's not that, hey, I'm at a point in my life where I've transformed my mind and I'm good. It's a continual transformation. It's also passive, which means that the catalyst of transformation is God. God's the one that changes our mind. But thirdly, it's imperative, meaning we actually have a responsibility. It's on us, me, imperative. We have to be the one doing that. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do we do that? How does the Spirit help us do that? It's about reading His Word and getting into His Word regularly. Doing our devotions and memorizing scripture. So when we're attacked by this world, and we will be attacked to follow those temptations of our mind that goes off on a different tangent and say, you know what, that's going to make me happy. We can use our minds to say, you know what, we can use the scriptures to say, you know what, that's not biblical. That's not what God wants for my life. Now I know some people who will say, I've you know, talked about this before, and I have trouble with this too, is memorizing scripture. Jared, I can't memorize scripture. Can't even remember. I only have one, one in my book that I can memorize, and I just throw it out for every temptation that comes up, and it never usually works. There was a boy who asked his dad the same thing. He said, Dad, I can't, can't memorize scripture. So, what, so this dad gives a uh, wicker basket. Instead of answering the question, gives a wicker basket to his son. It says, Son, go fill this with water and bring it back to me. And so the son goes, okay, well, I'll do that. An obedient son goes and fills up this wicker basket, fills it with water, comes back to his dad, and water's pouring out all over the place. By the time he gets back to his dad, it's totally empty. And the dad says, do it again. So the son goes and fills the wicker basket up, even wicker basket up a little bit higher this time, and it's, it's coming out, and he runs back to his dad, and it's totally empty by that time, too. Dad says, do it one more time. Fill it up as much as you can. So the boy goes back and fills it up. The wicker basket is overflowing with water. And he runs back to his dad and is totally empty. He said, Dad, this wicker basket holds no water at all. And the dad says, no, but it's a lot cleaner, isn't it? So the whole idea of reading scripture, maybe not be able to attain it, but it's going to be a lot cleaner. Our minds are going to be set on what? Things on above, not on things on earth, is what Colossians says. So when we're tempted, we'll be able to utilize scripture. 
So that's how we renew our mind. We need to saturate our mind with godly thinking. We need to be reading the scriptures. If you're not reading the scriptures, we need to be reading the scriptures on a daily basis. Whether we're able to memorize that or not, our minds are going to be set on things above, not on things on earth. The second question is, how do we renew our minds? Is asking yourself, are the things that I'm pursuing in life, how I talk to my family or my friends, how I act, what my mind thinks that will make me happy, are those things of God? Are they of the world? That's what we need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Are they God's mind? Is your mind transforming? Do you understand we need to set our mind on things above so our bodies can be lived out as sacrifices? Paul concludes in verse 2. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice Paul does not say that we will find or discover God's will. We will test and approve God's will. This isn't about whether I should get married or what job should I take or should I move downtown? Should I move back in with my parents? Should I move out of my parents' house? It's not about that. It's about setting our mind on things above and God will reveal his will to you in your life. Why? Because our minds are set on things above. Not on things below. The will of God here deals with the obedience to his general will. As you obey God's, God's will, he will unveil his specific will for your life. But it's not about I'm going to live righteously in order to get from God. We live sacrificially because we give to him out of thanks. That's what we need to be doing. That's why Henry Linden said, Nothing is really lost by a life of sacrifice. Everything is lost by failure to obey God's call. God wants all of you. He wants your mind. He wants your body. So my question to you today is, as you go out to your workplaces, your schools, your sports, your friends, your family, is your life reflecting the worth of God? Is your mind being transformed to reflect the worth of God? Are you using your gifts and abilities out of thank you to serve him on a regular basis? That's what this is all about. That's why worship really is a matter of the heart. As the band comes, I want to end with a story. Have you ever heard of a guy named Eddie Rickenbacker? Kind of a rhetorical question because I'm going to tell you to tell you the answer anyway. If you lived in the 40s, which many of you haven't at this point, but if you lived in the 40s in South Florida, you would know who Eddie Rickenbacker was. Eddie Rickenbacker was a guy who, on a regular basis, would go out onto the beach and he would have a big bucket in his arm and it would be full of shrimp and fish and he would feed the seagulls. He would throw these food up into the air to the seagulls and seagulls would flock to him. And seagulls were waiting for him because they expected him to do that, because he was consistent to do that. And people looked at him and they went, what a crazy man, what a waste of resources and time this guy does. He's out there feeding seagulls. But if you knew the story of Eddie Rickenbacker, you probably wouldn't think he was that crazy. You see, Eddie Rickenbacker was uh, in the World War. He was on a B-17. And he was in what they call the Flying Fortresses. And he was supposed to deliver a message to General MacArthur when his plane ran out of fuel and went down in the water. And all the crew survived, and they were in a life raft. And after eight days, they actually ran out of food. They had water, but they ran out of food. 
So Eddie Rickenbacker closed his eyes and said a prayer and put his hat over his head and a seagull landed on his head. And he grabbed the seagull and they ate the seagull. And then they used the, the, the inside of the seagull for bait and they caught more food and they were able to survive. So Eddie would then go on the beaches and he would feed the seagulls as a thank you. One author writes of him, What was a seagull doing hundreds of miles away from land? Only God knows. Whatever the reason, Rickenbacker was thankful. As a result, during the week, this old captain walked to the pier, his bucket full of shrimp and his heart full of thanks. We'd be wise to do the same. We have much in common with Rickenbacker. We, too, were saved by a sacrificial visitor. We, too, were rescued by the one who journeyed far from only God knows where. And we, like the captain, have every reason to look into the sky and live a life of thanks that results in worship that is personal, daily, and sacrificial. See, when we use our gifts, what we have, our resources, to say thank you, that's the worshiper, the kind of, kind of worshiper the Lord seeks, who worships in spirit and in truth. My prayer for you this week that you go out tomorrow and that your worship really begins at your workplaces, at your schools, with your family, before it begins next Sunday when we come in and praise God corporately and say thank you for all you're doing. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for people like Eddie Rickenbacker who can show us how to say thanks on a regular basis, Father. Father, I pray that you use, help us to use our talents and gifts to the best of our ability, Father. Lord, and that tomorrow when we wake up, we have a life that says thank you. And that we can worship you personally wherever we go. In your name.